Hello, and welcome to the Enterprise Endpoint Experts E-Cubed podcast. I'm your co-host, Bill Burnett, and with me is the other co-host, Amy Casto. Hey, Amy. Hey, Bill. How's it going? Good, good. And you? I'm great. Thanks. Okay. We have done our pleasantries. Mick. Mick is our guest today. <laughs> hey, Mick. Uh, Mick Pletcher, welcome to the E-Cubed podcast. Thanks, and it's uh, great to be here. So, Mick, who are you? Where do you, what do you work for? What's your title? What do you do? So I'm uh, Mick Pletcher, and I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I work at uh, Waller, Lansden, Dorch, and Davis. Uh, it's a nationally ranked law firm here, and I specialize in CCM and PowerShell automation. Excellent. And you are also a Microsoft MVP, correct? Yes. Just mentioning that. What's your so. award category? Uh, my award category was in um, uh, data center. Okay. And, uh, you feel like it matches what you do? I feel like all of us MVPs are kind of all over the place. And that's we how are, we get in so we can get into config manager. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, um, uh, the uh, cloud and data center management, it uh, it covers PowerShell and uh, SCCM, so I think it uh, matches me perfect. There are a few other things that I do uh, on the um, side, but uh, for the most part, yes. Awesome. Okay, great. And you, <clears throat> and so you are a config manager uh, person, which we're going to talk about. You do a lot of, uh, you create a lot of community utilities for config manager, and you know a lot about config manager. But before we talk about that, uh, what I found very interesting when I was chatting with you at an MVP event, which we were hosting. I'm not an MVP, just for our listeners. I'm a marketing guy. So, but you're you're a very frequent traveler. You and your wife travel all around the world. Uh, as I understand it, you've been like almost everywhere. Like just Africa alone, I mentioned that, and you listed uh, just rattled off a bunch of countries you've been to there. Where have you been in Africa? So my wife and I, uh, well, the first time I went to Africa was in uh, 2012. I went by myself that time. Uh, my wife didn't go with me because I had decided back then that I was going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, the first time I went, I wanted to really make a, um, a grand entry to, to Africa. So I started out in South Africa. Then I went to uh, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and uh, Botswana. And then I uh, flew up to Tanzania, where I uh, successfully summited Kilimanjaro that uh, September 7th. And then uh, my wife and I have gone back uh, two times since then. And uh, we just love Africa. It's hands down my favorite continent, favorite place to go, because uh, both of us are really big outdoorsmen. So I got to ask, how does a person get to a point where they wake up in the morning and decide, I'm going to summit Mount Kilimanjaro? Well, I, I've, I've, so starting out about uh, about 15 years ago, I really got into sports. And uh, I started um, bicycle racing, started doing triathlon, mountain biking, and it really, I loved it. And then I kind of, after a few wrecks, I uh, had uh, accidents and then, of course, got married. And that kind of got in the way of my racing days. So uh, I decided one day, I was like, I told my wife, I said, you know, I'm going to climb Kilimanjaro. I said, I'm going to do it. I've made my mind up. And luckily, I live uh, fairly close, a couple hundred miles to the uh, Appalachian Mountains. And the third highest mountain in the uh, East Coast is only 200 miles away in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. So I went over there quite a bit, trained here in Nashville a lot, and uh, I was determined I was going to summit. 
Yeah, I grew up on the, uh, say the top part of the Appalachians in the Ohio Valley. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about with it being beautiful and it kind of draws you outdoors. Uh, certainly nothing better to do than be outside when you live in that area. So what's your favorite place that you've visited? Probably my favorite place of all that I've visited would be, um, I'm going to say Tanzania, uh, just for the fact that uh, being able to uh, summit Kilimanjaro there in uh, 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 Moshi, Tanzania, and then uh, doing the uh, seeing the great migration that my wife and I saw this last December. And uh, there's just so much beauty to see in that country. That sounds amazing. What's the most overrated place you've visited? Okay, the most overrated place would have to be Iceland. And to be specific, uh, the uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the um, pool there. Um, it's that blue thing. I know what you're talking blue, about. Blue Lagoon, yes. <clears throat> well, my wife and I went to Iceland in 2014, and when we got to the Blue Lagoon, we both we liked it at first, and then after about, 25, 30 minutes, we both looked at each other and like, okay, what now? <laughs> that's so funny. I mean, we were, that's super interesting that you say that because that's totally a bucket list place for me. And it's gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, I've done so much research on Iceland that I think I'd like to retire there one day. So it's <laughs> well, just interesting that you say it's so overrated. Now, the rest of Iceland is beautiful. It's fantastic. It's just the Blue Lagoon I thought was a little overrated. Um, gotcha. Best time if you want to go, go in uh, February, and that's when they're having the um, the Lights Festival there in uh, Reykjavik, and it is fantastic. That sounds great. It's funny about the Blue Lagoon because I've seen people post that, hey, we're in Iceland, we're in the Blue Lagoon, and I'm like, oh, my God, that looks so amazing. And then I think, but really, once they've gotten in there and had a drink, what, what are they going to do? You can only go, hey, we're in the Blue Lagoon for so long. Exactly. And I'm going to tell you one thing, Amy. If you're going to Iceland, you have got to, while you're in Reykjavik, go get the hot dogs. There's a hot dog right. stand downtown. You will not get a hot dog better than those. That's that's quite a promise because I do live in Chicago, and we do like our pizza and our hot dogs. That was expected. Iceland <laughs> travel tip I've never heard. Yeah, I'm going to Iceland for the hot dogs. <laughs> okay, so Mick, you and your wife have – go ahead, Amy. I was going to say, you've done so much traveling. Um, so I have a girlfriend who is on a trip right now around the world, and she's blogging her trip, and she's, I think, on her way to be, like, one of the second or third women of her age group to travel uh, every country in the world within a, a time period, and she explains how she does it and how she picks her tickets and stuff, but I can't imagine that being very cheap. So do you have um, tips for anyone wanting to travel without feeling like they're spending every dime they have? Absolutely. The The number one thing I tell people is don't fall for the travel packages. Um, typically, okay. the travel packages are way overpriced. Um, make, just book each and every segment uh, of the trip out and book it separately. Uh, make sure you book it uh 60 to uh, between 60 and 90 days before the vacation and um and, and you're going to get a much much better price if you book it uh longer than that it's going to be higher and if you book it um within a shorter time period than uh 60 days the price can really skyrocket at that point and and plus think about airbnb uh i didn't until i started going to ignite 
back in, I believe it was 2015, the first one, I started using Airbnb and love it compared to hotels. And it's so much cheaper. I have to stop you there. You're awfully brave to have your first Airbnb experience be in Chicago. So I'm glad you survived. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I mean, my, my, the firm I work for gives me, uh, they pay for my way to Ignite every year, and I always feel kind of obligated to try to do it a little on the cheaper side for them because they are paying my way. They always offer me these different trips. And uh, so, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to um, seem like I'm trying to take advantage of them. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you and your wife have built a self-sustaining home, which is like a whole thing that I think we're going to explore briefly. But first off, what does what do you mean? What what do you mean self-sustained? Well, the um, there is so I used to work for an architecture and engineering firm here in Nashville, and uh, of course I got a lot of engineering uh, knowledge from them. And there's a um, there is a standards called LEED, uh, L-E-E-D, uh, building standard. And so what I did was I'm trying to keep this house I'm building to lead standards, which means reusing, um, reusing materials, uh, uh, repurposing them, that is. And so uh, what I did was I made built this home. I weld as a hobby and I bought two shipping containers and welded them together and partially put the home underground. So two of the walls are underground to uh, keep the home cool in the summertime. And uh, and, and then also. I've used solar panels on it. All it has uh, is solar panel for power. Um, I'm getting ready right now. It has 10 solar panels, and we're getting ready to upgrade it to uh, 24. So it's completely self-sustained. It's not on the uh, grid. It's got. Um, we're getting ready to put in a 3,000-gallon water tank that will be able to collect water uh, from the rain because there's there's a fair amount of rain over in that area. Uh, so that it is a uh, completely self-sustained and no impact to the environment. Wow, that is amazing. You're making me feel like an underachiever. I feel like I've done something when I changed the light bulb in the pantry. Which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> much less weld two containers together to build a uh, an entire self-sustaining home. That is super awesome. Well, where we're building, um, my wife and I are, as I said earlier, we're really big outdoors people, and there is a a national park right there. I'm building it on the edge of. It's 171,000 acres. It's 53 miles long and eight miles wide, and the uh, they have tons of four wheeling, off roading, um, fishing, hunting, camping, just anything you can imagine. And it's only um, 80 miles west of Nashville. So it's called Land Between the Lakes, and I've always wanted a home there. And I told my wife, I said, why don't we build a self-sustaining home over there, and then we've got a weekend getaway. And that's quite the backyard also. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but no no yard work, which is even better, right? I know. Yes. We just got a new dog, and uh, we have a, a full acre of land now over there, and we're getting ready to put eight-foot fences up around it, and uh, she's going to love the run over there. Oh, nice. So did you build the solar panels yourself or did you? No, did you I buy purchased those? them. Uh, I purchased them and luckily the, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, solar panels, you get actually a tax credit and that's until 2022 for buying solar panels. And the actual wiring part is very easy. The, um, I built the house so that it is completely, um, of course, as I said, off the grid, but it's also mainly DC powered. Uh, a lot of your appliances, like clocks and 
um, dehumidifiers and such stuff as that are actually DC powered. So I literally cut the cables and put a, uh, a DC 12 volt DC socket on it. And so most all the houses run off of DC current. Um, there's only like two, two appliances in the whole house now, and that's the air conditioner and the um, uh, microwave that are uh, AC that I have to have an inverter for. This is super interesting. I'm, I'm building a house right now, and I, sh- I think I should have uh, asked you to build it. Maybe I could have <laughs> had some more uh, green standards to the house uh, and saved some money. Wow, this is great. So are, are you documenting this anywhere? This sounds like a, a lot of information for anyone that's really interested in this kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, actually, I have a uh, blog out there and um, uh, on the entire uh, project. Now, I, I will say this. I haven't been back there uh, except twice in the last five months because I've been traveling quite a bit, uh, public speaking and then just a lot of personal travel, too. So I haven't had much of a chance to, to get over there. But starting this weekend, I'm going to be over there and we plan on finishing it in the next two months. Awesome. So that blog link is containerlakehome.blogspot.com, correct? That's it. Okay. And then you'll be updating uh, your your future progress over here as well? Exactly. And uh, and plus, I mean, I, I filed for a couple of patents on uh, new tools that I designed, um, or products, that is, that I designed for a uh, container home. Wow. That's awesome. So when you're not summiting Kilimanjaro, building a container lake home, patenting new technology for people who also want to build container lake homes. You are uh, working full-time as a ConfigMan MVP, but somehow in the middle of all that, you seem to find time to build PowerShell Config Manager tools. Is that right? Yes, and I, I do. Uh, I write a lot of tools here at the the firm I work at, and um, uh, for making uh, Config Manager a lot better. And you kind of, if I understand correctly, you, you do this not you do this just for the community. You're not actually making money selling tools. You're like, oh, I had this problem, or I saw people had this problem. I'm going to create a tool for it. Correct. Um, I mean, I, I put them out on my blog. You know, put a full, typically instruction manual out there on each of these new tools, and it's uh, free for anybody to use. So is it safe to say that PowerShell is your most favorite Microsoft tool, or is there anything else that you love that doesn't get quite as much love? Oh, no. PowerShell is hands down my favorite thing. Yeah, my my wife tells me that all the time. She says, uh, I think PowerShell is your uh, second wife. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to ask, is there any room in your heart for open source? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Any favorites in, in open source? Um, you know, it's a good, that's a good uh, question. Um, I am, to be honest with you, I am so engrossed in PowerShell <laughs> that, that, um, that I really don't touch anything else. I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for open source, no doubt. Okay. Awesome. So how do you decide, uh, what you need to build tools for? So when when I, for instance, so one of my favorite ways of deciding on a new tool or automation technique for Config Manager is when uh, our build team starts making mistakes in a build. And then uh, I'll automatically start thinking, how can we automate this that this can't be repeated again? Uh, mm-hmm. That's usually something. And then it's just repetitive stuff that, to be honest with you, I don't want to waste my time continuing to have to do and 
I figure, hey, let's write a script that can take care of this for me in the future. Uh, also, okay. efficiency. There's a lot of the tools I've written is just to make a build process or a deployment process a lot more efficient. Do you ever go out to uh, user voice for the community and, and challenge yourself to, to build a tool before Microsoft can in incorporate it into Config Manager? Um, you know, I haven't. I've never really touched that much. I mean, I mean, I've, I've gone out there and looked at different um, different issues people have have posted, but um, I've never really used that. It's been pretty much stuff that I've encountered, and I figure that others could use. For sure. So I heard that you're building, or you have built, an, an MDT tool. Yes, um, there's uh, one of the MDT tools, uh, which, which that's what I want to uh, also talk about is I not only do it for Config Manager, but I also do it for MDT builds because we actually use, I mean, I'm in a moderate size firm, about 600 people, so we use MDT for our build and SCCM for everything else. Um, yes, so one of the uh, MDT tools that, uh, that I'm working on right now is for Windows updates. Uh, as you know, Windows updates can take forever, especially if they've accumulated over time. So what I wish Microsoft would have done was when a system needs to have a Windows update, why don't they have it where it copies that update down to a local um, UNC path? And then you've got a repository locally, so when the system sees, hey, I need this update, it doesn't have to go out to Microsoft every time and download it. It can grab it right there. So I'm okay. running a tool right now that will uh, create its own repository. It'll basically go out to Microsoft and say, hey, what updates do I need? Then mm -hmm. it, uh, when it's, it gets the list, it'll say, okay, let me check my repository. If it's here, I'm going to install it. If it's not, I'm going to go ahead and download the update to the repository, then install it locally. That's cutting your, down, your uh, installation time by half right off. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I've seen this uh, whiteboard that you have of ideas. I have to ask you about uh, the licensing ideas. So how do you feel that the licensing tracking capabilities is right now? I mean, obviously, you see there's a need. So, so what are your ideas with it? So that one came up here just recently. So we have we use um, Mac activation key. And what happened was uh, the help desk didn't tell me when they started getting uh, errors popping up on systems that they weren't activating until just recently. And then they came to me and said, hey, why aren't these systems activating? Well, I said, well, we're out of Mac activations. We need to contact Microsoft and uh, ask for them to extend them out before we get to Win 10 uh, later on this year. So what I'm looking at is um, having a licensing tool that integrates with um, uh with Microsoft and is able to uh, send me an email instantly once I get down, we get down to a certain number of activations left so we don't get into this situation again. Okay. Um, so are there any other tools that came up that are on this list that that, uh, that you really want to highlight? I want to sure. make you tell your ideas to the world and then someone's like, oh, I'm going to do that first. <laughs> Well, sure. Um, like uh, a couple of them here. I think the uh, MDT build status tool. Uh, MDT doesn't have any tool, which I've already published this, but it needs some updates to it. Um, basically, what that tool does is, so if uh, you set the parameters in the tool where it goes out and it queries uh, via a um, um, scheduled task on the uh, operating system. So the tool is run from a scheduled task, and I have it set up here to run every 15 minutes. 
and it goes out and queries MDT and says, hey, are there any systems being built? If so, have they been building for longer than, which I specify, two hours? Um, and so, and then it also tells me, so when the system is done, it, it, um, it will send me a, a report via email and say, here's the status, if, whether it was completed successfully, when it started, when it ended, and how long it took to build. Uh, that way it gives me a good, good idea of, hey, when, when a system uh, is taking so much longer to build, it's probably about time I need to go back and rebuild the reference image to inject all those new Windows updates that got, um, that they're now taking a, a lot longer on the build. Okay. So I'm, I'm making some, um, uh, different changes to that to make it a much more efficient tool. Um, one of my other ones that I think, which I haven't gotten, uh, I'm about halfway through it is the MSI reporting tool. It seems to me a lot of people have problems with uh, MSI, especially if they have to use Orca uh, on um, getting in there and actually looking at the MSI database. So what this does is this tool will, uh, you run the tool, you drop it in the same directory as an MSI, you uh, run the tool, it initiates the MSI, you go through and you make all the checks and um, uh, data entries, whatever it requires in there to customize the install the MSI will what it does then is the MSI goes through and installs the app. Then the script will come back automatically and uninstall the app. It looks at everything, the, um, the all your data entry points, your checkboxes and all that, and then it will create a, a report at the very end and tell you, okay, for you to um, to, to customize the installation here, you just uh, put at the end of the MSI exec line, um, you know, like... I don't know, let's say install uh, directory equals so-and-so. So that way you've got all the uh, data uh, variables right there in front of you, and you don't have to go in each time and uh, with Orca to actually uh, research and try to find all these. Okay. So when you've written your tools, do you publish them to your blog? Is that how people find them? Yes. I, I publish them to my blog, and then I typically go out and um, and publish it on Facebook then, and then publish it to all the um, SECM groups, the PowerShell groups, the system admin groups. There's mm-hmm. a, there are right now 27 different groups that I publish to. And then I do the okay. same thing in LinkedIn and Twitter. Have you automated that publishing yet? That's one. That's another thing I've got on my list. <laughs> I was yes, just going to wonder, because yeah. <laughs> believe me, it gets... The, some of the tools out there that uh, third-party uh, apps that I've seen just don't, they, they don't cut it. They don't give you the options. Like for me, I, I published to 27 groups in Facebook alone, and they don't give you that uh, option to be able to publish to all those, like uh, Hootsuite, for instance. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing uh, actually a PowerShell script that can um, go out there and uh, control the browser part. So basically it doesn't integrate with the Facebook uh, APIs, but it uses the browser and um, and injects these for each one of the pages and then post to each one of those. Oh, wow. That would be gotcha. really so useful. Before, Go ahead. Before we move on, I wanted to ask you really quick. Uh, so your blog link, MickITblog, um, blogspot.com, for anyone that hasn't been there yet. First, I just want to say I really could have used this uh, back in the days when I was in the weeds. This stuff is amazing. Um, so do you have... Do you ever come across tools that, that that you need to write or publish onto this blog that you just don't have the time for or the ability to um, to create them? I guess I'm I'm asking like like do you hire people to to help you code or do you outsource it at all? 
Now, as far as uh, stuff for my blog, no, I do all that myself. Um, okay. But I do have, I do outsource for uh, a couple of apps that I actually have um, uh, for iTunes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you actually built an app that let people take pictures of their um, <clears throat> take pictures of their IDs and put in various personal information and then store it locally. And I'm just going to run through the story here, and you tell me if I got it right. And then uh, what happened is it was kind of popular, but there were other people building apps that did kind of the same thing. And so you were like, well, I don't need to spend time on that. Uh, and then your big competitor, which was uh, LifeLock, had a cloud hack and basically shut down. Is that is that the story accurate? Correct. Uh, there were just two of us that actually had that app. I was the first one that had it out. And then LifeLock came uh, behind me and created an app, and they had theirs in the cloud. And theirs did all, all this other stuff, like you could scan your uh, bank card, and it could automatically give you a balance on your account. And, yes, they did get a, uh, a serious hack, and then they were, they sent an email out to everyone. Of course, them being a competitor, I wanted I bought their app just to keep an eye on what they were doing. And then I got an email from them, and uh, it said that they were going to be closing down the app after that security breach, and it would not be returned uh, on uh, iTunes. So right now, I'm uh, I'm totally revamping my app. Uh, I've actually removed it for right now from iTunes. I'm getting it revamped. Um, I'm not going to put any of it in the cloud. We're still going to have security on it. And, uh, yes, it'll be able to you take pictures of your uh, driver's license, your insurance card, your uh, passport, all this stuff, and use the app to store these. And, of course, the number one thing that I get people say to me is, well, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to pay 99 cents for your app when all I have to do is take a picture of it and store it on my phone? But, you know, when you see people with hundreds and hundreds of pictures, if you're on the spot, let's say you can't find your insurance card in your car, um, do you want to have to skim through hundreds of pics and try to find it? Yeah, it's easy to find right in the app. Right. And so and so as I understand it, then you build out your design. You, you do the front end yourself, but then you actually go and outsource programmers to do the hardcore back end programming. Absolutely. So I, I'll do the uh, UX interface, uh, give them a good uh, idea of what I'm looking for. And then I have gone on to Upwork.com and hired um, people from uh, other countries to actually write the uh, back-end code for me. And uh, and I've had a great experience. I mean, there's a little bit of a learning curve there when you're doing that, and I think some of it's cultural. I mean, we would really go back and forth at first getting, saying, hey, this is actually what I want, not this. So, yeah. But once they get on track, yeah, I've, they're they're great. So do you have any pro tips or um, things that you've learned in outsourcing? One thing is uh, when you're uh, getting or when you're looking to hire somebody, especially on Upwork, uh, definitely ask for uh, references. Have have a small project. Some of them will actually say, hey, I'll do a small project for you and to give you an idea of how good I am, what I can achieve for you. And um and, and I'll tell you here recently, so now that I'm actually redoing it, so I've been looking for new programmers, it has changed a lot. You get a lot of spam now uh, on Upwork. People will say, hey, I want to do this job for you, but I don't want to do it through Upwork. I want to uh, do it direct. And, of course, 
you know, Upwork takes a percentage of their pay, which I get that, but it's don't do it. Do it through Upwork. <laughs> um, everything's secured there. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like when you're uh, buying and selling things online, you want to go through PayPal or whatever, so you have uh, you have protection there. So that makes sense. So yeah, okay. I'm, I'm really excited. I wanna I wanna really get the app back out there here. Probably I'm looking at maybe the next three months. So if people want to find it when they're listening to this blog three three months from now, uh, which they don't even know when now is, it's April of 2018. Um, what will they look for? Uh, it'll be it's called uh, ID on the go. ID on the go, great. So thank you so much, Mick. I want to re. Call out your websites, micitblog.blogspot.com, or if you're interested in Container Lake Home Building, containerlakehome.blogspot.com. And uh, the MVP is not that it's not interesting, but it's not the most interesting thing about you on account of you being a, you know, Kilimanjaro summiting container home building PowerShell community tool giving um, iTunes app builder. Uh, as well. So <laughs> that's a lot for a business card, I guess. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. Before we uh, send you off, Amy has a would you rather. I do. It is. We need to come up with some special music for this uh, part, but for now yes. I'll say, dun, 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 would you rather. All right, Mick, based on everything I've learned about you today, Here's my would you rather. Would you rather make an imaginary thing real just by drawing it or make a real thing disappear um, just by erasing it? Oh, make imaginary thing appear real. Hands down. Uh-huh. And I can tell you exactly what it would be. I was going to ask. I was like, are we allowed to ask? <laughs> <laughs> Warp speed. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah, That would be sure. what it is. NASA's new, uh, uh, their, their new project that they had uh, sent the prototype, well, not prototype, but the, the drawing of. Yep, that's exactly it. Warp speed and not, all right, just for five seconds, indulge me. Star Trek Discovery, anybody? Okay, I'm going to let it go. Because <laughs> that could be ten minutes. I'm just going to say it's awesome, and there, and we'll leave it at that. But it it actually has something cooler than warp speed. Okay, but we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up because if we start talking about Star Trek, then we'll get into Star Trek versus Star Wars, yes. and then it's like a four hour argument. Okay. <laughs> Mick, thank you so much for joining us. Amy, you have a fabulous morning slash afternoon. Hey, guys, guys. thanks for the the fun. Bye.